Let's pray together. Our good, our holy God, we thank you for a chance to gather in this place on this day. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to worship you. We thank you for the promise of Scripture that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. And Lord, at this point of the service, we thank you for your word. It is a light for our path. As we open Scripture together today, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see clearly, that you would give us hearts that are tender, that would receive your word like a seed planted in good soil, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Holy God, we pray that you make our hands strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And Lord, we pray that a word of life and hope and witness would be found on our lips. God, this is our prayer in the strong and the precious name of Jesus. And we pray together today saying, amen and amen. Friends, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John 3 as we continue our teaching series back to the beginning. Uh, John's epistles. John had a distinction among the apostles. He was the only one that got to be old. He got to be an old man. And there's a story that's been going around for a few thousand years about John. Uh, we don't know if it's absolutely true or not, but it's been circulating for quite a while. You know, a story lives long enough. You know, people write it down as truth. Uh, but there's a story about John that when he was an elderly man, uh, the, the, the people would go and get him. He was in, in Ephesus. Uh, and, and serving in that community, but as an elderly man that his followers, his disciples, those, those people that he taught over the years, would go and pick him up for the gathering. As an elderly man, he still wanted to be part of the worship of God in Christ. He still wanted to be part of what was going on. And, and they would go get him, and they would carry him to the gathering in Ephesus. When I was in high school, I used to attend every so often a little Pentecostal church called the Pine Springs Pentecostal Church. I had a friend there, uh, and sometimes I'd sneak out there on Sunday nights and go to the Pine Springs Pentecostal Church. And this church had an old guy like that. He was an old British preacher. He was part of the early days of that church, and, and he had grown elderly. Uh, and they would, there'd be these guys go pick him up in, his, in their pickup trucks and, and bring him to church, and they would, they would carry him in by the arms. Uh, and, and one night, it was a winter night out in this little church, and, and he was wearing a white sweater that had brown streaks all across the back. And I said, what happened to his sweater? And they said, we're really concerned because he has started to dry his clothes in the oven. And so the Apostle John had gotten to the stage in life where he was drying his clothes in the oven. And the young guys were bringing him to church in their pickup trucks. And the story goes is they would, they would bring John into the, to the gathering. Uh, he would always want to give a word. And the word was always the same thing. And the word was, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Lord's day after Lord's day, they would drag his tired bones into the room. Little children, love one another. Now, is that story true? I don't know if it's factual, but I know it's true. 
because it rang true to the teachings that John has given us in other places in Scripture. And it's certainly true for what he has to say to us in chapter 3. Chapter 3 begins, and we talked about this Wednesday night, but some of you weren't there. <laughs> chapter 3 begins with this, this line from, from John. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And we will, we will be, it has not been totally revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Did you get that? Little, little children. You are the children of God. We are the children of God. Those of you in Christ, you, you are the children of God. And you are the children of God right now. And you're growing up, and, and, and you're maturing. And, and what you're going to be is not yet fully known, but what we know is, is when we see him, we will be like him. And this is our hope, little children, that we will be like him. And those of us who hope in this, we purify ourselves in this because he is pure. We all experience with the city of Manchester the terror and the pain of the experience that occurred in Manchester, England. I, I have two connections to Manchester. One, one is Andrew and Mary Ava Phillips, a young couple, missionary couple with Greater Europe Mission, out of this church. Uh, every, every month as the contribution goes from our account into their account, we pray for Andrew and Mary Ava Phillips and the work that goes on uh, in Manchester, the work that they're doing. So we've been praying for that city because of them. I'm also connected to Manchester because of the, the teaching and the preaching of, uh, of Alexander McLaren, that old, that old preacher, long ago dead. But I have collections of his books and sermons, and, and McLaren for so many years preached the gospel in Manchester. Commenting on this text of Scripture, this is what McLaren said. He said, in God, there is a purifying influence of hope. And as the children of God, we experience the purifying influence and power of hope. We're his children now. And we're growing. And, and we're not what we're going to be. But we're here as, and, and we're not what we used to be because of that grace. And we're confident that we will be like him because of his mercy and, and his power. And in that hope, we purify ourselves because he is pure. This is one of the tests of life, one of the tests of faith, that we are growing in, in our relationship with God and that we are growing in our likeness to Christ. And related to that is this test of love one for another, those of us who name the name of Jesus. Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Little children, 
love one another. That indeed was his message. He fleshes it out nicely beginning in verse 11. Let's begin reading. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We must not be like Cain who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or a or a sister in need, and yet refuses to help. Little children, let us not in love in word or speech, but in truth and in action. Let me remind you the context of, of the whole of the epistle. John is concerned about the children of God the little children who named the name of Christ because some that were among them had gone away. They had broken their fellowship. They had broken their commitments. They had turned their back on their confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were the cool kids who, who were playing with new toys and new shiny things, who were running after something better. It was sort of this paleo-gnosticism. This is a current thing for us because we battle sort of a neo-Gnosticism. And if you boil all that down, it's this, is that the self and our experiences are sovereign. And people were leaving. The cool kids were packing up on the cool kid van and they were riding out of the church. And John was writing to these children, these children of God, to encourage them to be steadfast. And he was reminding them who they were that they belonged to God because of the mercy of Christ and that Christ belonged to them, that they were in union with Christ and they were growing in that relationship and that identity meant something. And he gave in this epistle a series of tests to see if their confession was real, if their, if their life of faith was sincere, if they truly were the children of God. One of those tests was a growing righteousness. And here the test is love, love one for another. John begins this section by saying, uh, I'm taking you back. I'm taking you back to this message that you have heard from the beginning, love one another. He's taking them back to the words of Jesus. John, as he wrote the Gospel of John, said this in chapter 13, verse 31. He said, when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Listen to this, beginning in verse 33. Little children... I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment. 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is the new command from Jesus. Love each other as he qualifies it. I have loved you. Later in chapter 15, Jesus would say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. On the night of Christ's betrayal, Jesus took a basin of water, a towel in his hand. He washed the feet of his disciples. And he says, I give you this mandate, this command That's why we call that night Maundy Thursday, the night of the mandate, the night of the command that we love and serve one another. John is shoring up their commitments, and he's taking them back to the beginning, back to the words of Jesus, their Savior, and his call to love one another. If we name the name of Christ, we are bound by this. We are marked by this. And this is the evidence of the sincerity of our confession. Little children love one another. And then John goes on to flesh it out. Because a commandment like that can, can get sort of fuzzy. And, and we use it to, uh, to, to, to quantify different things and, and to make sense of the world in different ways. Uh, but, he, but he gives us some pictures. He, he gives us some nails to hang our hats on. And he begins with this stark contrast between Cain and Christ. He says, if you're going to fulfill the command of Christ to love one another, you're not going to be like Cain. You should not be like Cain, who killed his brother because his brother was righteous and he was evil. You remember that story. Some of you, maybe it's a new story for you. It comes from the earliest part of the Bible. Uh, It it comes from those, those first chapters of Scripture. It's the story of these two brothers They both bring an offering to God. Abel brings an offering from his heart and his life, and God looks at this offering and is pleased and receives this offering to himself. And Cain, he he brings some stuff to God, uh, but but his heart's not in it, and and, and his gift is insufficient, and and he comes before God with his stuff, and, and God rejects this attitude, and he rejects this offering. And Cain is crestfallen by this. And he begins to seethe in his heart, and God says to him, be careful. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door like a hungry lion waiting to pounce, but you can master this. You don't have to go down this trail. You can do something different. God was giving him an off-ramp, but he dug in, and he continued to seethe in his heart, not only at his own shame, but at the righteousness of his brother. And in a violent act, he killed his brother. And this set a pattern loose in the world. And John said, don't be like that. 
He said, don't be surprised if the world hates you because this spirit of Cain and this, this attitude of Cain and these actions of Cain are loose in, in the world. A.J. Swoboda is a pastor in the Pacific Northwest, and he teaches from time to time with Fuller. He recently said, Hatred is our camouflage for our shame. Deal with the shame and we begin to love. Without first being loved, humanity cannot truly love. One of the reasons we live in a world that's so angry, so outraged, so loud, it was because we're dealing with the sin and the shame in our own hearts. And instead of dealing with the man or the woman in the mirror, we toss stones at our sisters and our brothers. He said, don't be like Cain. Then he said, we should be like Christ. You see, Cain killed his brother because his brother was righteous. Jesus laid down his life for us because we were sinners. There's no starker contrast. You see, if we're to pattern our lives after Christ, we have to recognize one thing from the get-go, and that's that our relationship with Christ is an asymmetrical relationship. It's not like we can look at Jesus and say, hey, I really want to be like him. And in our own strength and power and wisdom, we go out there and try to mimic that. For years and years and years, we've tried to do that. People have tried to do that. And what we do in our subtle frustration is that we make Christ over into our own image. The scripture says that God created us in his own image. Well, we had been busy about returning the favor. And we turn Jesus into us. And we're able to fulfill that, that, that desire to be like him by turning him into us and becoming our best selves. That's not what John was talking about. And that's not what scripture teaches. And that leaves us spiritually and ethically bankrupt if that's the attempt we try to make. Christ is Savior and we are sinners and we're called to receive his love and his grace and only then express it outwardly as he begins to work in and through us to make a difference and a change in this world. Jesus is both propitiation and pattern. And his atoning gift must come first. Jürgen Moltmann wrote, The reduction of faith to practice has not enriched faith. It has impoverished it. It has let practice itself become a matter of law. And I will remind you that the letter kills. And this attitude, this do-it-yourself religion, has added to the anger and the frustration in the world. It's not helping if we are to be like Christ, it begins first by coming to God with empty hands and allowing, allowing him to fill us with his life and his grace purchased for us on the cross. John gave a test here. He wanted them to know that their faith was sincere. And he said, we know the whole purpose of this book is so that we could know that we had a relationship with God. He said, we know we have passed from death to life 
because we love one another. For John, loving one another is not a way to become a follower of Christ. It's an outgrowth of it and an indicator of authentic faith in our life. He said, we know we've passed, and here are the categories, from death to life when we see evidence that we love our sisters and our brothers. Pass from is an interesting word. It's a word used sometimes to talk about immigrating from one place to another, of going from being a citizen of this kingdom to a citizen of that kingdom. In other epistles, you have his transfer from the, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he talked about passing from death to life. Uh, just recently, we, we had dinner at Joe and Nancy McKinney's house to celebrate Abraham Joseph's citizenship. Big party at their house. It wasn't big. It was kind of small. But it was a beautiful party. But it was intimate and precious. And we were there because Abraham had gone down to Austin after years after years, and he became a citizen of the United States of America. And we were eating hamburgers, and we were talking about that experience, and he said, I was in a room, and I had given up all of my paperwork. And he said, and it, it was sort of between time, between, between being a citizen of India and a citizen of the United States of America, and I had given up all of my paperwork, and he said, I felt so uncomfortable for the first time in my life, I was a person in between. I was a person without papers, without identity. But then I walked in. I walked in the room. And my citizenship changed. And it changed for the rest of my life. You see, friends, God in His grace wants us to immigrate wants us to move from the citizenship of a culture and a pattern of death from the life of Cain to becoming citizens of the kingdom of Christ, a citizenship known and defined by life. And in his mercy, when we pass from death to life, we become tributaries and streams of his love in the world. And our pattern for love is defined for us, not by our experiences, not by our sovereign self, but by truth and action that is in keeping with the cross of Jesus Christ. No greater love is there than one laying down his life. Robert Law said that the love of Calvary is an ever-flowing fountain. As grace flows into our life, purchased for us by Christ, grace flows out of our life as we live a cruciform life, laying down our lives day by day, little by little, for God's glory and for the good of others. Simply put, if we're going to grow in righteousness and if we're going to grow in love and if we're going to live out of the identity of the children of God, increasingly, something about us that is selfish has got to die.
that life may come. The gospel is not morbid, it's liberating. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, but friends, he did not stay dead. And the reason that so many of us are trapped in tiny little small lives is because we think if something selfish dies, we will be diminished. You are cheating yourself out of the resurrection. And there's an old Hebrew word for that. Dumb. <laughs> Little children <laughs> love one another. How do we know love? The cross and the empty tomb. And just in case they missed all of that, he gave them an everyday pedestrian example. He said, how can you, when you have the world's goods, look at a sister and brother in need and shut your heart? He says, if you want to test this, don't test the words that come out of your mouth, but see if your heart is closed See if your hands are closed. What will we do with this truth? May we receive freely from God and have him cleanse us of our sin and our shame and freely offer in his name the love that pulses in our veins because of the blood of Calvary. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for a chance to hear your word, and we thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, as we come to a time where we sing a song, a song that we call a hymn of commitment or decision, Lord, I pray for the men and the women in this place that are in valleys of decision, in moments of decision in their life about, about following you or about their church membership and leadership. Oh Lord, I pray for people that just simply need to be called back to a faithful walk or to new faith. God, I pray either as we sing or afterwards in conversations in the hallways that people will open up their hearts and know the tender touch of your spirit. Or we pray this in Christ's strong name, saying together, amen. amen. Let's stand together and let's sing and respond as the Lord would lead you.